All right, back again, episode 13 of Kaleidoscope. Uh, Mitch and Jundar here. Hi there, guys. Yeah, today we are going to talk about, or rather tonight, it's late as fuck, we're going to talk about writing, the creative process, everything that goes into that, sort of personal habits and just weird shit that uh, we may do to sort of get in the mood and, you know, the just the whole aspect behind all of it. Every, everything, and, anything and everything. And for you aspiring writers out there, pay close attention to this man because he has a published book that you can buy on Amazon. Yeah, watch out world. Setting the world <laughs> on fire here. Exactly. And, yeah, this it, is, and this is not a shameless plug. I repeat, this is not a shameless plug. No, not shameless at all. There is absolutely no bias that uh, whatsoever that we are recording a podcast, our own podcast, to promote shamelessly nor, never would I ever shamelessly promote my own book. That's disgusting. Exactly, guys. We have integrity. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Capital I, no less. Exactly. Capital I, integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so yeah, it, it is true though. I'm I'm gonna re- I'm just gonna. That was all a filthy lie. I will shamelessly. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely shamelessly promote my book. It's How called. Can... It, it's called Raw. It's on Amazon, ebook and physical copy uh, by Mitchell Moxley. So it, it's a book of poetry, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot of little nice stuff in there. It's a it's a toy package. It's not long, but it's great for uh, little brief readings and and uh, flights and fucking. If you're on a train for whatever fucking reason, you're in the middle of nowhere. You're on a train somewhere. I don't know. People still ride trains. That sounds kind of nice. Uh, that would be good car rides as long as you're not the one driving but i might you know i could do an audiobook version and then then yeah knock yourself out and it's also a great table stabilizer that's also great if you (laughs) buy it and you decide it's absolutely garbage that's fine too leave me a positive review at the very least saying that it upheld your crooked ass (laughs) table that your grandparents gave you that's from like 19 fucking 63 or something like that and uh, I'll take that, too. That's a compliment. I'm all right with that. Yeah, anyway, it would be actually embarrassing if a book couldn't even do that. That's pretty bad. <laughs> you know I deserve a shit review if, if it can't do that. Nonetheless, nonetheless, shameless plug and uh, absolute lack of integrity aside, even though I think it's okay to promote your own book. Like, you know, it's not like I'm a fucking shill out here showing other people shit, showing my own shit. I'm a self-shill. Yeah. So, exactly. nonetheless... Yeah, we're going to talk about this, that, and that. So, all right. You, you've written some stuff yourself. and uh, Yeah, I have. And, uh, nothing that's been published, so I'm not shilling for myself here. I, I got a little bit more integrity than you do. Well, of course. Who wouldn't? I'm a piece of right. shit. But yeah, let's get into, like, uh, for example, what do you, you know, how do you start? What do you get that, you know, some people are good and, and you know, they'll, they'll go <laughs> to public places and, and start to write and that's how they kind of get in in that atmosphere that state of mind so for me i don't know for me writing has always been a very personal personal thing so like i always like to keep myself in my own little space kind of like far away from any distractions and just be able to process the the story that's going through my mind trying to visualize it in my head so I tend to like keep myself in my room and just in front of the computer when I try to write. Uh, but one thing I always try to do is play some music. 
I just find it really relaxing, and sometimes it even just gives me that little extra boost of creativity when I'm just listening to some, some, some sort of really awesome soundtrack. Yeah, so it sounds like we have kind of a similar um, pattern, I feel like. I, I, very similar. So I, you know, I have my own like little home office. And yeah, same. I close myself up in here. I make sure it's cold as fuck. I can't concentrate if it's too fucking hot. And then I just start like anxiously chewing the fucking skin off my thumbs and fucking. I just got get become a nervous fucking wreck when I write. I just what just constantly, you know, in that fucking moment and just. Christ, it's like I'm locked in a fucking box, and that's the only way I can. And ironically, that's when I become free. You know, is when I get when I sort of force myself away from, like you said, you know, the distractions of of this, that, and the other. I have to just sort of be in my own world, and you know, yeah, I'll put on some music very, very lightly though. It can't be loud at all. It's got to be so fucking low that it's nearly inaudible. You can barely hear it, but it has to be something that has some kind of correlation or resonance with the material, right? Yeah. And I, I think that, the, yeah, and even lyrically, I would argue that a lot of my work, like poetically speaking, you know, po- works of poetry and whatnot, is very, you know, much of it's very rhythmic, sort oh, of yeah, more old-fashioned. Yeah, especially uh, especially your poem, Lara Libus, man. Right, yeah, yeah, which is pretty fucking weird. It's some, like, acid shit and some di- alternate dimension types. It's a whole fucking thing. If yeah, you, didn't, you you actually reading, say, just, didn't you actually yeah. say, like, when you wrote that one, it wasn't, weren't you inspired by a song from Tool, like, uh, Lateralist yeah. or something like that? Yeah, actually, yeah, it was. Uh, it was, was it Lateralist? I want to say yeah. I want to say yeah. Well, Where I, I know the song it's because... Well, the song is um, based on the Fibonacci sequence. Hold on, let me yeah. look up really quick. I think it is. That's what. That's kind of like what made made that poem really interesting to me. It's like the fact that it was a poem based on a math problem. Yeah. Well, in a way, not necessarily. Yes and no. So it's just the idea that it was mathematic that interested me. Okay. So what what it was was. And again, this is a poem in in my book. And what it discusses sort of is this concept that and weirdly enough, this is I wrote this before I ever took acid. So it's it's kind of strange that it's it was almost like a premonition, if you believe in that kind of thing, not that I necessarily do. But uh, it was similar. Like when I actually did take acid, it was very much this feeling where so the poem isn't particularly long. Most of my work isn't very long. I just feel like the, the shorter the better. I like the succinctness of poetry, and it's just sort of like a puzzle. It's just interesting in and of itself. That's a whole other uh, discussion by itself. But either either way, so the poem, yeah, it's called Lateralibus, which I think is a Latin word, and I don't believe there's an English alternative to it which just means it's it's like a series of lateral movements it's a continual lateral movement lateral shift and lateralibus it's not my shit isn't necessarily about anywhere close to the same thing the same ideas that's just like its own thing 
I just listened to the song over and over and over and over on repeat when I wrote it. And so the idea, you know, the name interested me and what it represented, but the content is different. So that song is based on the Fibonacci sequence. So like the, how the song is structured out is a reflection of the Fibonacci sequence. So like one and one is two and then two and one is three and so on and so forth. So just the fact that there is a fucking piece of creativity that's based on a, a math uh, formula is fascinating, I thought. So what my poem is structured over is, is, not, is not that. So essentially the poem is structured in a way that it's, it's, a, it's hard to explain. It's fucking difficult to explain without looking at it. But basically... There, it has a particular syllable count per stanza. Each stanza is only, you know, a couple lines. It's very short, but there are a few. There are a couple few stanzas, and the syllable count goes down every time per line. So the first line is the longest line. For example, it's say it's something like I don't know, eleven syllables, right? And then the second line in that stanza is eight syllables. Then the second stanza is say nine syllables and then seven syllables in the line below it so it goes 11 8 9 7 then there's a singular line that's six syllables right and then there's an one word which is lateral libis which is five syllables okay and at this point the poem flips and it's essentially a mirror and then it goes i want to say six then seven nine eight eleven so basically the the poem is an exact syllabic counter mirror rather from one end to the other and the reason it's structured this way is because the first half is this character who's sort of in the dark in in this just this open endless space and it's completely black it's all blackness and there is this light this brief light sort of this this flame that he's hoping for he wants he wants this flame to sort of emanate, and as as uh, he's, I think he's like waiting for a fucking flame to ignite. He's waiting for light in this shroud of of darkness, and it's just it's just not there. And so essentially, this this darkness just sort of like comes inward, and it, it just constantly like fucking almost like a fog, like a th- I describe it as like a thick fog, and it, it sort of just slowly uh, travels toward the character until it gets to the point where it just surrounds the character and then it it starts to seep into every pore inside of 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 the speaker of the protagonist and he becomes one one with it or as i describe it in the poem one with the nebulous right i think it's something like that i wrote it a while ago but i got the book right here if you want me to yeah, it's all right. They they can find it if they're that interested. So, yeah, but you know this this fucking shroud of 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 the unknown. <laughs> it's it's just sort of like this thickness, this blackness. This represents you know uncertainty. Just this the fact that we just float through life completely oblivious and uncertain, constantly yearning and and searching for for answers and explanation to existence. Why? Just why are we here? And uh, just constantly wanting something. And we all feel that it's universal. And so this 
uncertainty sort of sweeps inward until, you know, the character is just one with the uncertainty. And then this flip switches in the character's head. And it's this realization that there's something within. There's The character starts to understand that, that there's something, some kind of something that may lead him to a greater understanding of existence, only though that it's within, not out. It's not out in a fucking field or in space or beyond this. It's not anywhere. It's, it's in. It's inside of our... We have it. We have the answers. It's just locked away inside somewhere deep. And that's definitely a feeling that you get when you take acid, which, again, this was before I ever took it. So then it sort of flips, and the character finds, like, this light emanating within his imagination. And he follows it, and he sort of digs up this fucking plot that's just sort of emanating this light. And it's this big-ass slide, and it's like a kaleidoscope. It's like a giant fucking glass kaleidoscope slide and he he slinks through this slide and then he just starts seeing the world from all different colors and perspectives shapes and it's just completely altering the paradigm of how this person sees the world and, and everything beyond and then he's shot out of it within his imagination into the sky through the fucking stars and just sees that every star every inkling of every everything is a potential reason for existence and that it's the culmination and understanding that there isn't a singular explanation for existence, but rather an indefinite number of them. And that it's up, it's, it's interpretive. It's up to the person to decide what that answer is. But either way, that answer is within, not outside of us. It's not outward. It's, it's within you. You know why you're here and you may not know now, but you eventually will whether it be love or, or whatever, you know, for most it's love, but it, it, it could be anything, whatever that purpose is, whatever drives you. So anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the ones in the book, but essentially, you know, how you get, it's what I find interesting is how a, a writer, how an author gets into a frame of mind. So like I was saying, you know, for me, I want to be in a, in a cold, dark place that, listen to something lightly and i would i would say you know like you said with that song song lyrics and and more rhythmic um more rhythmic things sort of inspire the things that i write about not whole whole poems or whole stanzas just certain words or uh turns of phrase things like that that i find particularly interesting old literature particularly like old literature i don't really read a lot of new stuff i don't particularly like it it's it's just certain things certain words certain phrases i love very um rhythmic playful almost i love the juxtaposition between taking something rhythmic and playful and and the the actual material being ominous so an example modest mouse is a perfect example of a band where they have this just sort of sing-songy like upbeat type of vibe but uh, really, it's it's, just really uh, it's really fucking depressing. It's incredibly grim a lot of the time. So I love that. I'm <laughs> a fan of that. I, I love how it contrasts so so much. So for me, you know, of course, like I write long form as well. I'll you know I'll write longer material and things like that. You know, I'm gonna eventually start working on a second book that's sort of semi or not semi completely autobiographical. But 
the poetry book raw is yeah it's my first book and i just think that poetry is such an interesting nearly dead art form you know it's it's not gonna fucking blow up and people think it's the greatest thing ever i i'd imagine i would just say it's sort of lost on our on our generation um but i still think it's interesting because it's almost not that good poetry has to be complicated i don't believe that necessarily i think there's simple stuff out there that's beautiful and and great but i love the challenge of it i love the challenge of saying something poignant something impactful and meaningful and challenging myself to do that without saying a lot i i love being able to say a whole fucking lot without saying much at all i think that's a really powerful and uh, way to write and I think it instills a tremendous amount of discipline and I would say that even if you're not interested in poetry at all I still think it's an interesting way and probably an ideal way to write just because I think a lot of author a lot of authors you know their books their shit's long as fuck and, and you know it sort of harkens back to what we were talking about with the open world game stuff not to get too much into games again but it just suffers from bloat you know, it just has a bunch of repetitive shit and, and the author doesn't know when to shut the fuck up and just yeah. move on. I, yeah, I can I can attest to that. Like, uh, when I first started writing, uh, the first thing I wrote uh, with any sort of seriousness was this little story I call I created called DeafWorks. Uh, I'm pretty sure you remember it. Yeah. Uh, pretty much the basic idea was about a uh, you know a kid who makes a deal with death to continue on living and i tried to turn it into this huge multi-arc epic of a story that spans several chapters and like that's where i made my biggest mistake because as soon as i because as soon as i started off with that mentality it became a lot of the chapters that I was writing just became just meaningless. They didn't really have much point to them aside from just having, you know, maybe admittedly like maybe one or cool ideas into it. So, you know, you kind of like, you pretty much almost restrict yourself in a way by, by doing it like that, where you're just doing, trying to make a long story because when you do that, like you're trying to come up with so much ideas and try to divide them up into such a, a long span of time that there really isn't much payoff to them. And it's just, you know, you're just forcing yourself to come up with scenarios just to eventually reach the point you really want to make. Yeah, you're trying to meet an arbitrary goalpost, essentially. And I remember when you first started writing that, and I think the the thing after that as well yeah uh although admittedly the the second story i started writing after deathworks uh ledhart admittedly that one i did go in with the intention of making it a lot more shorter and condensed yeah i mean it was a definite improvement but even still i remember where you know i think you later rectify that i don't know but i know when you started you still have this mentality that, like it has to be X amount of chapters. It has to be, you know, like I don't think that's a particularly effective way to write because like you set this arbitrary goal of like it needs to be X long. 
Like that's not. It's like a fucking YouTuber who says like, I need a video to be ten minutes long so I can put two ads on it. You know, it doesn't mean. I mean, yeah, for the for money's sake, sure, but I, I don't think like creatively, it's necessarily a good thing. You're just going to end up filling shit up. You know, filling dead space. Yeah, not, and that's and a lot of a lot of what def, a lot of the chapters I wrote in Deferts, and I think. I think by the time I stopped writing it, I made like almost 20 chapters. And I can tell you, out of all of those 20 chapters, like maybe a handful of them at best were even relevant to the actual story I was trying to tell. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, you know, it's a process. I think that writing is not that I'm fucking super incredible or anything like that. Uh, it's I can just say like at the very least, I'm confident in in my style, my voice, and my abilities. It may not be for everyone, but I've went through the process to figure out, you know, sort of where I stand, my style, the way I write. Like it's it's very me. And that's really what I would say is the most important thing is developing your own style, your own voice, because it's very easy to read some Bukowski or what the fuck ever else you're into which I like him uh, as well. Just the fucking next is the next guy. I got, you know, tattoos of the, some of his fucking quotes on this, that, and the other. But still, it's easy to, to sort of become, to fanboy or fangirl out on something and then just dick ride it to death. And then you basically just become, you know, an echo of that, a weak, frail echo of something that someone else did better a hell of a lot long, long a, a lot earlier than you did. You know, you have to, and it's okay to be inspired by something. I mean, like Sylvia Plath. I, I love Sylvia Plath. She's one of my favorite authors. But I make it a point to not just sound like a shitty Sylvia Plath. That's that's not enough for me. I have to be me, you know. So there are sprinklings of maybe her style and then other people as well. And you'll definitely, if you're familiar with the work, you'll see hints of that in mine. But I'm not just a shitty knockoff of her. I hope not. That's not my intention. I want to be me and i think that over time i have developed that voice to where i can confidently say that my material is my own and you know i i have my own style my own things and you know it, it's just no one is in, i think that's like a pound up quote in one of his books or some shit like no one nothing of us is original we're just sort of an assimilation or something of the other of a million other fucking things that we've witnessed before you know i butchered that quote badly but that's still the point fucking remains we just sort of are amalgams of everything that's come before us. I agree with that, but that's sort of then what then makes us individuals. So I think that's important. Don't become a derivative shitbag who just rips on other people's material poorly. And don't uh, be Carlos Mencia. Yeah, don't Mencia. Just don't. Because people will eventually see you for the fucking fraud that you are. And just be true. And that's the thing is don't. Another thing is that I really can't stand is when someone is coming up and they want to write and they have like a genre. They want to write a genre. I fucking hate this. I think this is a terrible idea. I think it's counterintuitive. Basically, it's like, I'm going to write in this. Why? Why are you doing that? It's like you're purposefully pigeonholing yourself. You're purposefully putting yourself in a box and relegating what you're about to do to one thing. Why do that? Just write what you're passionate about. Write what you know, and then your audience will follow if it's good. Like, if you write something, 
and it's true to your heart. You believe in it. You're passionate about it. It's meaningful to you. It's personal as substance and it's good. People will read it, you know, and if they don't, you can at least take solace in knowing that you had fucking integrity to your work toward your work. But don't just say, I'm going to write a fucking sci-fi. Don't do that. Like if you're passionate about sci-fi, just write it. Write what, what you feel in your fucking heart, but don't like just chase like Twilight and shit like that. Don't don't chase a genre because it's popular. I mean, if you want to be a good fucking writer, not that you can't write a good vampire novel or this, that, or the other, but don't just do it for the sake of the genre. Do it because you actually believe in it. There's nothing wrong with the genre, but just do it because you care about it. So yeah. uh, that that really does irk the fuck out of me. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to what I said earlier about uh, you know, going in there with a certain expectation of how much you're going to write, because I think anytime you start writing and you immediately make certain decisions about what it is going to be about, like, uh, like if you're trying to say, you know, like if you want it to be X amount of pages or you want to be, you want to fit in a certain field of uh, literature, like, yeah, like genre be it horror, comedy, whatever. Like, obviously, then you start limiting yourself. Like, it's... You're not really freeing yourself. You know, when you say you're going to do a comedy, like, you don't free yourself to all many possibilities of jokes. You you pretty much relegate yourself to just doing one thing and one thing only. And I think sometimes it's best to just, like, kind of start off with something and just let the story itself dictate what it is. That's usually how I kind of like felt writing. You, know, whenever I, I write one of my stories, I just let the story talk. Like I just let whatever idea that came into my head do the storytelling for me. Like I didn't go and say, "Okay, I got the story. I want it to be hard. It has to be hard. Let me just put in some hard elements." No, I just go in, think, "All right, you know what?" Here's a here's this idea. I think it's really cool. I wanted my story, and here's how I come, I'm gonna fit it in there. It's how yeah. I usually process it. Yeah, I mean, I for sure like you know, I just fucking can't stand it. I feel like you're shooting yourself in the fucking foot before you even get started, and to me. It's just, it's like, I remember somebody asked, they did, somebody did an interview with Tarantino, and they're like, when are you going to do a comedy? He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? All my movies are comedies. What do you mean? And they are, you know? Every one of his movies have an element of humor, you know? And that's just because he doesn't fucking relegate himself to one thing. He just writes it, and then it just becomes what it becomes, you know? It just it takes a natural state. So, you know, it's like Kill Bill. When you take Kill Bill as a whole, it's... It's yeah, it's like a samurai cheesy samurai kung fu movie, but at the same time, it's also it's got like vibes of a western film as well, and you know other things like that. It's action movies. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that that sort of is input in there. It's not just one thing. So just be true to how you fucking feel. And and another thing is editing. I can't emphasize this enough. Editing is just such a vital part of the writing process. You know, if, if you're just some kind of fucking genius auteur and everything you write is gold, uh, and I can't remember if it was fucking Faulkner or not who, who wrote, God, what the hell was it? 
I gotta look that shit up. I gotta check my reference. Where he wrote that shit. Was it Faulkner? Wrote that shit like in, in I think it was as I lay dying. I wanna say it was as I lay dying. Yeah. Yep. So Faulkner said he wrote the novel As I Lay Dying, which is generally regarded as his best novel and one of the best fucking novels within the last hundred years. Uh, he wrote the novel from midnight to 4 a.m. over the ki- course of six weeks and did not change a word of it. Okay. Now, that's, that's possible. That's fucking po- I'm not saying, but, you know, I, I doubt you're Faulkner. So <laughs> it's doable, but at the same time, I'm not certain. I'm not, I don't know about that. Uh, and I'm not just talking about, you know, fucking typos and, you know, whatever about all that shit. I'm just talking about structure. Because, and I, th- I think, like, as you continue on, I know, like, now, the more that I write, which it's been a while, the less I edit. Because I'm more confident in my voice and my decision and, and what I'm saying. But, not only that, but also, but also, it's because you try, you don't fall on the same mistakes as you used to when you're, when you're starting out. Like, for me, like, one of the biggest problems I was having was I was over I over explained everything to the audience to to almost a un, insulting degree like not that I do it maliciously but it's just you, know, you start off writing and you're trying to write a scene and you just kind of like explain you kind of like explain everything that's going on even like the stuff that you really don't need to or certain stuff that you know is better left uh, unsaid just to the imagination of the audience or I mean reader in this instance yeah I mean it's it's easy to fall into that whole you know they they tell you that from as a as a young lad or lass just show don't tell and <laughs> yeah it's it's better to just say like I would say I have the opposite problem like I, I've, I've had that criticism leveled at me before for people who's read my work which is I'm too cryptic um and I can't necessarily deny that. That I'd say I'm, I am kind of guilty of that at times. But uh, it, it st- I would rather be too cryptic though than than too obvious. It could be a little pretentious. I could see that, but I feel my more recent work has sort of gotten away from that. But at the same time, you know that's just my style. I I tried or tread out what I think is a reasonable line i like to respect the reader i I don't like you know what you're saying i don't like when people beat the fucking reader over the head and and make them feel retarded never ever underestimate the the reader the viewer the listener just don't don't always assume that they're the smartest person in the fucking room that's what i do because people are smarter than they get credit for and they will figure that shit out especially people who are readers like if if you read if you are a fucking reader of books and novels and whatnot, I would wager to say that if you're the, if you're in your 20s and 30s and you're reading fucking books in this climate, this generation, you're probably smarter than the average person. I think it's a fair assessment. I can't prove it, but I'd 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 take that fucking bet, you know. So, having said that, I try to respect the reader. Never, I I always I want to challenge the reader, but at the same time reward them with what I think is something that is meaningful and relatable at the end of the day. And I think a lot of the book 
accomplishes that, particularly as the book goes on. And, you know, considering the way that it's structured, which is, you know, as you know, it's it, it's more or less five parts, give or take. And there are illustrations throughout the book. There's five illustrations in the book. You know, obviously, I'm not going to count the cover, but five illustrations in the book that represent five different parts of the book. And it's sort of a personal journey, almost like a diary or, or a journal, in a sense, where there's sort of a prologue section that's about five or so poems long. And this is sort of like a, a pre-grown-the-fuck-up stage where I'm just sort of arrogant and and self-absorbed and without i don't want to over explain the book in case any any of you want to read it yourselves but essentially it's a very early stage in my life and i feel like i have all the fucking answers and then it just goes through phases of, of first you know heartbreak grief uh sadness and anger you know all, all the emotions that come with with betrayal and and all that shit just love and loss and then of course, the second phase is just is just depression, just flat, flat out fucking. And I'm gonna talk about the. This isn't like the five stages of grief or anything like that. It's just my own personal journey. So then it was just like depression, complete nothing, just gray fucking nothingness. Everything in that section is just like dull to the fucking world because sad, sadness and depression are not the same thing at fucking all. Sadness is an emotion. It is a response. It is a reaction. Depression is nothing. It isn't a response or a reaction at all of anything. It is nothingness. It is apathy. Okay. So then I would say it's sort of this cleansing period where it, it's the pieces, the, the works within that section are more or, or rather less personal. They are in a sense, but they're not autobiographical. They're, they're of other fictional characters. It's essentially a, a symbolic of this sort of this cleansing period where everything sort of flushes out and, and reshapes itself. And then the next stage is sort of this rebuilding, learning what love is and, and how to family, friends, the things things that matter, things that, you know, wh whatever that, that is meaningful to you, purpose. And then, of course, lastly, it's about finding a greater meaning and that's whatever you want it to be. It could be God. It can be, you know, your own personal triumphs and, and future and family, wh whatever, whatever it may be, sort of a trans transcendental experience. So, you know, I have my own, but uh, yeah, that's up for the, for the reader to interpret. So, and it just sort of caps it all off by sort of in this very meta way without talking too much about it. But, you know, to me, that was very personal. All that, that whole book was. It, it was written over the course of several years, going through a tremendous amount of very fucked up personal stuff, be it relationship shit or, you know, health shit, whatever. Like, just, just fucking complete inner destruction, I feel like. Just being fucking ripped apart from the inside, from just the fucking fucked up broken engagement you know, basically getting fucking engaged and showing up to a fucking castle wedding and the fucking bride's not there, more or less left at the fucking altar. Let's just be real. It's damn near as close as you can get. She's too busy fucking cheating on me. And then just having to rebuild from the ashes and then finally finding someone that I feel like I can grow with and uh, who's now my wife, 
I met her on Tinder, of all places. So don't give up on Tinder, kids. If you're out there, don't just fucking assume that it's a bunch of bots and she. You never know. I thought she was a bot. I'm like, damn, she's fine. She's probably a bot. But I'm gonna take a shot. And uh, yeah, now I'm married to her. Uh, so yeah, it was a very beautiful wedding. I cried. I cried too, deeply, yeah. badly, embarrassingly so. Like just, all, just dear lord. Although I still don't understand why you're calling me a woman. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, uh, but, but, you know, before all that came to fruition, you know, I found out I was literally fucking dying. I'm sure I've touched on this in the fucking previous podcast, but, you know, in case you're just now coming in to, to the, to the fold. Yeah. I found out I was fucking literally dying. I had like a severe heart condition where the valve in my heart was just rapidly failing the mitral valve and I needed open heart surgery (laughs) to fix it. I needed open heart surgery to fix it, and, you know, it was fixable, and the odds were fairly good, but it was a pretty severe case. I actually had to go to Cleveland Clinic, which is, like, one of the best. It is the best cardiac-related hospital in the country, in the U.S., so, you know, it was a pretty fucking traumatic experience, just, and then I've just been through hell. You know, and then damn near nearly died after that, after I started to recover from the operation after a few months. It was just fucking brutal then i got this thing called cardiac tamponade where my fucking heart basically drowned in its own fluid nearly and you know my fucking blood pressure was like 40 over 30 and my heart rate was like 180 i mean i was pretty much as they as they put it the the hospital staff you know from fucking minutes to maybe a couple hours from death it was pretty brutal and traumatizing so i bet they're a fuckload so that book is sort of a testament to some of these things happened after after the book but you know, knowing about the surgery and the, and the tension and, and dread leading up to it was very much a part of that creative process to finishing the book. So it, it's a huge series of moments in my life from basically it started from a point where I, I wrote a lot of that book early on when my biggest problem was just a shitty relationship and then to finally a broken engagement and then a broken heart, literally and physically, you know, so and learning to just rebuild and that's ultimately how the book uh comes together so i'm extremely proud of it i poured my fucking heart into that my heart and soul everything i fucking had into that book and i worked on it and and another thing i want to add i literally worked on that fucking book until the moment they rolled me back to the fucking or i was in i was in the prep room and they just shaved my fucking pubes dude they just literally literally a week before before your surgery, you were like finishing up the final touches of the book, getting re- getting it ready to be published. Yeah, yeah, I was, and I, I was uh, prepping everything, organizing everything. It was actually finished. I was finished with the writing process maybe back in July when I had coincidentally fucking gallbladder surgery right around that time, which also fucking sucked. So, which was a whole nother thing, and I no fucking reason to need that. I'm a fucking slim guy i don't know we still don't know anyway i don't want to get into all that shit i'm sure i've touched on it in prior podcasts but the point is all this sort of you know it was obviously personal and incredibly meaningful to me so that's why i it it was something i was passionate about and that's why i loved writing it even though it was fucking tense and fraught with anxiety it still was a challenge and something i'm really proud of to have finished well yeah well i think the fuck was that sound? Goats? Anyway. Uh, but, you know, that's 
kind of like the beauty of creative writing is that it gives us a outlet to put in all of our frustrations, fears, hopes, dreams, anxieties into something beautiful, you know? Yeah, and I mean, and and like every cliche you've ever heard says, it's true. Like for me, it just meant a great deal to me. That obviously, you know, I, a part of me feared that I was going to die. It's a very serious situation, and I had an incredibly serious. I had basically one of the worst case scenarios you can have, where most people the cert, the the. So it stems from this to not to get too derailed, too much. But essentially, if I haven't covered it before. In prior podcasts, it's like uh, it stems from this thing called mitral valve prolapse. It, you can have valvular issues from a multitude of problems, but it started from having this condition called mitral valve prolapse, and it's pretty common. It's usually not a big deal where the valve inside your mitral valve and and your heart doesn't shut open and close properly. Not a huge deal. You might have some like sharp pains. They're pretty harmless. Uh, your your stamina and your endurance is a, a little diminished. You you know probably wouldn't fucking play football or something if I were you if you have it. But not all that uncommon. But in my condition, I used to be seen by a, a pediatric cardiologist as a kid. But when I was just, you know became a teenager, I sort of phased out of it. Just forgot about it. Never got insurance as an adult. And then by the time I was like twenty six ish or so. I started having issues being tired all the fucking time, just hardly, I used to be super active and then I just started slowing down. I just, I felt like the life would just suck the fuck out of me and I didn't know why. And I went to, uh, I just lived off those five hour energies, which were fucking killing me. And then of course I learned how terrible those are for you. But anyway, went to a cardiologist. He's like, well, I think it's not a huge deal, but we'll check, we'll get an echocardiogram just in case. He called me the next fucking day, told me I, it was failing and I needed heart surgery within ideally the next couple months. So sort of went from there, but it, it was just a fucking incredibly, it was just an incredibly, um, surreal experience. You know, I can't remember why the fuck I got on that topic in the first place. What was it? What were you talking about? Uh, well, because of how, like how creative writing is able to, Less, oh uh, right 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 yeah, okay, yeah it's easy to just get fucking lost in that it's like yeah. goddamn ptsd but yeah so to go through that it's, it's a very PTSD, man. yeah it's, it's a very traumatizing experience all of it everything that i've i've gone through but still it's just being able to funnel that and create something beautiful yeah because it's easy to just to wallow so i've wanted to feel like I had something to say because I felt like at the time I felt like it was a death sentence, even though it wasn't. But yeah, that's right. It, it, the, so he told me and, you know, they did a bunch of testing, a bunch of stuff. And it turns out most people who have this condition, even though it's very rare to have when when the prolapse is so severe, it starts to create something called mitral valve regurgitation. There's also a version called stenosis where it's like hard and calcified and it isn't opening and closing for that reason. But the more common one is called regurgitation where the little leaflets, the little valves that open are like floppy and the blood just fucking gushes inside your heart and it's not circulating to your body. So you start enough, not enough blood's getting to your brain. So you can't think as clearly you get dizzy and lightheaded. It's not going to your kidney. So you'll piss like one time a day. You know, it's not your body just is slowing down and blood isn't getting to where it needs to be. And 
it starts to shoot up into the upper chambers of your heart, which is called your atrium. And it just swells the fuck up. Mine was gigantic by the time I needed the operation. And um, essentially, my heart just swelled the fuck up like the Grinch. That shit was like three sizes too big, but not in a flattering way. It was like a fucking death sentence. So I found out, you know, most people who have this condition have what's called a... Uh, what the fuck is it? It's only one of the leaflets are prolapsed with most patients. It's, uh, I think, the posterior... Uh, pro, uh, posterior leaflet, which it sounds like it's in the back, but the posterior leaflet, if I'm not mistaken, is in the front, which is if if you have mitral valve regurgitation, which is incredibly rare, it's ex- not common at all, with severe, at least severe enough to warrant surgery. Like to put it into perspective, in the city I live in, within the uh, cardiologist, within within the fucking hospital confines that I see, there are two hospitals here. The one that I go to. Within my county, within the general area that I live in, there's maybe half a million people here, roughly, within surrounding areas and stuff. And within that, this hospital particularly has six or 7,000 patients who are cardiac-related. And of those patients, six or 7,000, I am the only patient under the age of 40 that had valvular disease so severe that it needed surgery. So... Pretty fucking uncommon, <laughs> which is, again, yeah. isolating. And the average person who has it's like 68. So I yeah, found so out that... Be, so that things are good for a creative... Right. Stuff like creative. that. It, 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 exactly. But my point, to finish that point, like the posterior leaflet is the most common. It's usually just one valve. And then rarely the back valve is the one that's damaged, right? And it's not working. In my case, so like if it's the front valve... You have like a, a really high chance to fix it. It's not a, I mean, it's still an open heart surgery, but your odds are really good. Now, if it's the back valve, your odds of repairing it are really fucking low. You're not going to die. That just means they're going to put like a metal valve or a pig valve in there or some shit. So you have to take like Coumadin. It fucking sucks. It's way worse. You have a risk of stroke, all kinds of stuff. In my case, I had what's called a bileaflet prolapse, which is extremely rare, which is maybe a 10% chance of repair at the average hospital. So where both of mine were badly damaged, which is why I had to go to the best fucking hospital in the country to fix it. And they were able to repair it. Nonetheless, it's shit like that that just changes you forever. And that made me feel like it was a fucking death sentence at the time, which encouraged me to finish the book. You know, it it deeply fucking motivated me to just finish. And that old saying, it's true. I just wanted to affect somebody. I wanted to feel like I left something behind that if one person read it is... Has any either any of you listened to this have fucking heard a thousand times before that it mattered to someone, you know, that someone felt like because everyone experiences depression, everyone experiences loneliness and isolation, anger, resentment, grief. We all experience it. But the, the irony is that when we experience it, we feel like we're the only fucking one in the universe that's feeling that feel at that moment. And I wanted this book to be like this, this personal journey to show that you're not alone. That you're never alone. That everyone, somebody is feeling this exact same fucking feeling probably not very far away from you. You know? And that we just have to make an effort to stay connected. And to to show that we give a fuck. And it was just sort of a personal experience journey. Full of fucking highs and many, 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 many lows to get there. And you have to fucking stay true to that. You have to write about what you're passionate about. You know? And 
that's why I say it's important to just stick to to what's in your fucking heart. Write what's real to you. Not not genre shit or or being a derivative little cunt. None of that stuff. Just be real. And the rest just comes naturally. Yeah. You know, for me, like while my reasons for right aren't so uh life threatening, at least not life threatening to me. It was more to kind of like get grips on my anger. Because when I started writing, like I was just a very angry uh, person. Like I just had a lot of hate, a lot of venom in me. That I was kind of like ready to explode at any minute now. And I like I was just pretty much violent as well. Like, you know, when I was a younger person, especially a kid, like 10 years old, I remember. You're getting in a fight with another kid, and I just grab the uh, glass juice ball, smash it on a on a wall, and made it into a fucking knife, ready to stab the guy. So for me, getting into writing was pretty much just a way to relieve the anger, relieve any of the pent up aggression, and try to calm myself down. And you know, it definitely helped a lot. And it definitely kind of helped me get a perspective on myself about the things that mattered more to me and what was important for me. Like, uh, oh, yeah. Because when I started writing, like the first two stories that I wrote, uh, Deathworks and Lethard, they both had a underlying theme of uh, family and, and love and finding companionship with someone, finding, uh, you know, someone to. To share, to share that pain with, to share the moment, uh, and you know, someone that just relates to you, that you know, maybe hasn't lived your life, doesn't know what it's like to have done the things that you've done, but at the very least, can empathize with you and and try to help you be better than what you were before. And those were things that I never really thought about too much before writing, but they were things that kind of kept that stuck with me afterwards. Even if I didn't finish those stories, the what I wrote about in them stayed with me for a long time, even to this day. So definitely, you know, being able to write. Has just kind of like helped me understand myself a little bit more and just helped me focus all of that energy I had, all of that anger into something that's much more creative. And even though I haven't published them yet, like I do want to be able to go back to them, finish them, and, and just like post them so people can read it. And, and I don't know, maybe someone will find some joy out of it. Yeah. And you know, I would say too. You know, with with that, it's just lost my train of thought for a second. But essentially, I re- I remember when you were starting those. It was a while ago. But when are you? Uh, how far? I know with Deathworks, you just got like really fucking far. You wrote a shit ton. You're like fuck this, and you know there was just so much of it that wasn't viable. But what about a uh, Leadheart? I mean, didn't you get pretty far into that? Yeah, uh, I got near the end, but the problem with that one was the fact that 
Uh, and that was something you com- you told me about. It's just the fact that you know the characters were just not that good. Like the main guy was very boring and also just very sociopathic. And the uh, main girl was just not that interesting as well. She was just a one note character. And after that, I uh, went back to the drawing board and tried to uh, like do do them better. Try to yeah, sound like yeah. I'm a fucking dream killer or something. Jesus. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, but you know, I'm I'm not a I'm not averse to criticism myself. Shit, you know. You've you've uh, give me some criticism and this that and the other. I take yeah. it sometimes. You know, sometimes if I feel like I'm right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. But yeah. there are times, certainly when I'm I'm definitely responsive to it. But I think my problem was that yeah, it's like the character, the main character was just too just that typical anime shit. Yeah, where he's like a grim sad boy he or was. whatever. He yeah. Was. Just that typical shit, and for it just is unbelievable that this girl, like, why is this girl into him? Why? There's yeah. no motive. Like, why the fuck does she care? You know, because yeah. he's a bad boy or something? I mean, come on. Like, you know, he's just like this silent dude who who's like this crazy hitman guy or whatever, but he's just quiet as fuck and, like, brooding, and why she's into that? Like, he showed no you know chinks in his armor he showed no sense of humanity so why yeah. would she, why would she be into that you know yeah and when i when you gave me those criticisms i kind of did go back in through, through the story and kind of like restarted from scratch to like rectify that by you know by kind of like toning down the character's angst and trying to give him something that's more relatable uh and and just kind of like try try to make the girl also a more interesting person as well than just the the love interest. Uh, but like I just never got to finish. It. I don't remember why I stopped writing it. I really can't remember. After that, I think like the last thing I wrote was my much beloved, critically critically acclaimed. Golden Globe nominee. Ooh, that door, baby. The door, yeah. That door. I mean, it... You know, just between me, you, and the two other people that's, you know, hearing our podcast right now, Martin Scorsese wants to make a movie about it. I I heard he's actually at a bidding war to direct it, and Spielberg wants, it, wants a piece. I mean, it was a really fucking cool idea, though. Like... Yeah. It was a sweet idea, and I think that's sort of where you excel. It's like coming up with creative ideas. It's just the writing. I don't know if it's like the language barrier or something, like just the English of it. I don't know. It's like the execution. I get your idea, and I'm like, that's a cool idea. I like that idea. You know, It's just like execution of the, of the phrasing sometimes. That's the yeah. issue. I don't know. I mean, your English is good, but I like you type and talk fine, but it's perfectly good. Hell, it's better than most Americans, sadly. But, you know, it, it was definitely a good idea. I liked it, but it just needed some like work on the phrasing and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of it's interpretive. A lot of it is just personal and subjective. So it's just up to it's just up to the reader. I don't fucking know. I'm yeah. not an expert. Although I did restart because... 
like you did you did have some very valid criticisms about the first draft of Death Story that I've been trying to fix since then. And just kind of like try to not really expand it, but just kind of fixing the errors that were there in the first place. Because I did kind of feel I rushed things a bit too much near the end. And there was a definite sense of repetition in it. Uh, so, you know, I've been trying to, and also just kind of like wording it better, just trying to be much more uh, bear with, uh, with my words in it, because that's, I, I do understand that's been my biggest problem whenever it comes to writing is just how, how I write things. And I think it's because I'm just still not that used to it. And because I don't really read that many books that, that I don't know how, how our people tend to, to phrase things. Yeah, I don't think it's like a lack of of skill or talent or anything. I just think it's an inexperience issue where it's like English isn't, it's not the primary language over there, is it? Is it? Uh, nope. Yeah, so you're probably not used to seeing it a lot, you know, and, and, and things like that. So I would say it's more inexperience and an, an environmental factor. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the issues are, are just like run-on sentences, just basic stuff, simple shit. <laughs> easy to fix stuff run on sentences and just weird phrasing and the repetitive use of particular words you know you want to make sure you're constantly mixing that stuff up but it's pretty simple stuff it's not a big deal yeah but this the new draft i've been working on kind of like tries to fix on that and try to be more varied in its wording and try to avoid doing run-on sentences yeah but you know, not to fucking bog shit down in the, in the boring, uh, the boring facets of grammar, but yeah, I mean, all that society. You know, people can learn that stuff. Fucking Microsoft Word fixes ninety percent of that crap. Really, it's all it's about the heart of the story. It's about the heart, and if you feel it, and I think yeah, it's a funnel. It's almost like a, when you were talking about it was a way to sort of quell your anger, etc. For me, it was more of a funnel for for not just anger but like sadness and depression loneliness grief all those things and i think that that's what any create creative medium allows us to do which is to sort of take almost like a to take emotion any kind of emotion a series of emotions and sort of compound it to to break it down and into almost like a, a malleable clay in a sense, so to speak, to, to just form it in, into, into something meaningful. You know, to take, to take a series of things that we feel, all these emotions, everything, just fucking constant anxiety, fear, etc., all of them, and to just sort of condense it down tight, 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 and, and to convey it into something meaningful. You know, to make sense of it. That's what it is to me. That's what creativity is to me. That's what art is. That's what writing you know film etc it's to take something and to make sense of it it's to take an emotion and to make sense of it to try to control it because that's ultimately what we do i've said that numerous times it's just fucking finding the control amid the chaos to to find a way to come to grips with something be it your anger or my this that or the other doesn't matter it's to make something from all this shit going on and hopefully, 
you share it and, and other people can feel connected because that's really what art is about. It's about taking these things, making them into something and connecting with another person so they feel the same thing. It's, you know, a world without art is, is a sad, lonely world because it's, it's such a huge part of how we communicate with one another. And there's so many ways to do it. And I think that's such an incredible avenue to express yourself. And I, I don't, I think I would encourage anybody to, in any way, whatever your, whatever it is, whether it's, it's music or, 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 you know, film or, or writing, whatever, I don't care. If you have something to say, a way to say it, say it, you know, get it out there, purge. You, you gotta, you gotta do it. Everybody, otherwise you're going to just build all this fucking pressure up like a little valve and that shit's going to explode. Motherfucker is going to go postal or something like that. It's healthy to just sort of, and everybody has different ways, sports, whatever. Everybody has something. But if you have that creative itch, fucking scratch it. Scratch the fuck out of it. You know, just just go wild. Go nuts. And just really be true. Be genuine. And, you know, using that fucking word, we, we started with integrity. That's what it's all about. Be true to how you feel. Be true to what to what you really are passionate about. Don't fucking follow trends and genres and you know that shit is ridiculous. It, it's a road to nowhere. Mm-hmm. Except, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. If you want millions of dollars, <laughs> just fucking forget just click close on this fucking podcast. Don't yeah. just stop listen to what yeah. I'm fucking saying. Yeah, you know. just just be derivative and just like make something that's crowd pleasing. That yeah, you could be journal- good. It's like you could be derivative and be good. <clears throat> I'm not saying it's impossible. Like you could just be a knockoff of something. That's, but it's like it doesn't mean it's bad. You know, it's it's fine. It's whatever. It doesn't mean it's shitty. I just I just think like it's it's gonna it's gonna feel more authentic and genuine. If you are just and if what you write is authentic and genuine and it happens to be derivative of something else, so be it. You know, so be it. That's a that's a whole personal. That's a process that you're going to have to wade through. But ultimately, it's just about expressing yourself and relating to other people and really getting your message out there. And it's just about either leaving something behind or communicating with another person. That's what life is. It's about it's about putting ourselves out there, continuing the lineage, the legacy, and and leaving something behind. So we all, because ultimately all we ever want is to not feel forgotten. We want to feel like we mattered, even though nothing ostensibly does matter. No one ostensibly matters. We want to feel like it was... Do what? So just watch TV. (laughs) Yeah, just watch TV. Rick and Morty the shit. I mean, just, you know, we want to feel like something means something. So, yeah, just fucking ride that way. Anyway, anything you want to add? Uh, wubble up a dub dub. Uh, no, sorry, don't 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 copyright strike us, Dan Harmon. We're sorry. Yeah. We'll we'll give you a baby to rape if you let us go. Oh God, I don't want to <laughs> fucking even get into his whole baby rape show or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Uh, one you know one thing I would just like to add is always uh, is when you when you do have when you do uh, write something. Try to make a main character that's relatable if you are doing fiction. Because when you have a character that is relatable in some ways to the reader, you can build a connection, a bridge with that person, and they can feel more connected to that story. Like uh, like with you and Red Dead Redemption and Arthur Morgan. 
you know. Well, we don't want to get into spoilers. Yeah, without without there's... spoiling, without spoiling, uh, things happen in that game that, you know, I think Mitch, especially because especially Mitch felt uh, a lot more connected to that game, and he can and he came back around that story. Now he loves it. His favorite game of the year now. Yeah, but yeah, huh. but, but yeah, just always try to make someone that's relatable to. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think the more succinct way of putting it is write something that's real. Write write flaws. Like real yeah. people have flaws. Real people have flaws. Re- yeah, re- re- real people have flaws. Real people have holes in their personality. They have shit that's wrong. Write people who would make human decisions, not not what a fucking perfect entity would do on a perfect day every fucking perfect time. You know, it's yeah. about it's a it's a a journey as i've used that word a thousand fucking times throughout this it's a journey make yeah, it feel like one it has its highs and it has its lows yeah because a good care like great characters are great because they are imperfect you know that's something that everyone needs to remember because a lot of a lot of times whenever you get these works of fiction fiction a common problem you can find in a lot of them is that they try to present characters who are perfect in the sense that all of their decisions work out they they never really have a struggle to overcome right it, i'll give you a perfect soon. example it not to cut you off it's a perfect example aside from kryptonite it's the reason why superman is the world's most boring fucking character okay it's that exact reason other than that he always makes the perfect decisions. He's the perfect fucking entity. He's the perfect everything. He has the most power. Everything. He's fucking boring. He's boring. He's a boring fucking character. Period. The only time is interesting is when when a comic book writer takes a really fucked up, weird left field approach, right? You, and I mean, yeah, he has a flaw, but it's it's a it's a fucking like item, yeah. Not not a character flaw. It's a thing that that's hardly why, counts. Yeah, that's why the only. The only interesting Superman to me, and I know like comic talk about Red Sun. I mean, that's also very interesting. But no, it's it's the evil Superman. It's the Superman who, like, and because in some in some of the comic books, there's an alternate timeline version of Superman, and you've and it was based and the basis for Injustice, where uh, Superman, you know, finally. Finally, kind of snaps. He he doesn't become all all out evil, but he just stops caring about the sanctity of life. And anytime criminals try to do shit, like he'll kill them. Like he will outright kill them because he's moralized it that it's for the greater good. That for the greater good, this supervillain has to die. Like uh, like in the story of Injustice. Joker kills uh, Lois Lane and he just kind of like snaps and kills him because he realizes that by letting these villains live, you know, he's just letting them, letting them go out and do more damage and kill people. And for, and it causes a lot of division between him and some of the members of the Justice League because some of them, especially Batman, don't believe in killing. And he does now. And it kind of creates this interesting dynamic for Superman in that he is this all-powerful being that's pretty much choosing who lives and who dies, and he's doing it all for the greater good. And to some degree, you can't you can't say he's wrong. You can't. Because 
I mean, goddamn, Joker <laughs> gets arrested all the time and he still keeps killing people. There's like no cure to him. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm just rambling now. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I get your point. Like, it's just, you know, keep it real. That's really what I could. That's what all, we we went over a fucking hour here. But but the gist of it is, is you you want to write, you want to write something good, you want to write something meaningful, be real. You know, write about something that's real to you, even if it's a fucking universe, a galaxy away. Make the heart of it feel real. You know, put the flaws, put the ugly blemishes. You want that shit. That's what makes it so meaningful. Is the fact that it's it's not perfect. It's the fact that it's flawed, and fucked up, and, and messy. That's what life is. And it doesn't have to be realistic or even autobiographical you can just take those emotions and actually create the story you want like if it's even something much more fantastical or adventurous it's just just as long as that feeling is in that story yep just gotta feel real that's it it's like harry potter is a fucking world of wizarding still feels real the emotions that the the flaws and this that they feel real it's what a care it's what a real person would do with just fucking magic brooms and whatnot so all right with that i believe we're gonna wrap this one up yes all right that'll do it see y'all guys see ya